0: We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 4. You can turn there in your Bible, starting in verse 1. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. I want to pause right there because th- there's an underlying theme to this story that is, that is begun right here in verse 1. And I want to reread what Eve says here. She says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. That's a huge point right here. That's a huge point. Because if you go back to Genesis 3, what we find Eve doing is being the first person to ever commit a sin on planet Earth, right? And so there are ramifications for her sin. God's saying, look, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna have pain in childbirth because of what you've done, because you have broken this, what I have created, this perfection that we have with one another, and you've taken a bite of the apple. This is what's going to happen now that you've uh, committed this sin. But if we look in the beginning of chapter 4, she says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So with the help of God, yes, there is pain in my childbearing, but with the help of the Lord, in other words, I couldn't have done this without God, I've had a son. And I just want to make this point to y'all. God is not a vindictive God. Okay, so Eve, if, if God can continue to walk with Eve and help her in the ramifications of her sin, which is to have pain and childbearing, right? And not just say, I'm done with you, Eve. Look what you did. You just, you just set off a whole domino effect for the history of mankind and I'm done. He says, no, here are the ramifications of your sin, but guess what? In, then I, in them, I am going to be with you and I'm going to help you through them. So don't, if there's anyone in here, anyone watching online that thinks for a second that you've done something and God says, I'm done with you. Remember Eve, the first person who ever sinned. And God says, yeah, you've sinned and there's ramifications, but I'm not done with you. I'm going to help you through it. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind as we continue reading uh, in verse two. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks. And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So, so what we have here is we have two brothers giving an offering to the Lord. The first brother brings an offering described as some fruit. Here's some fruit, God. Kind of like, all right, yeah, here you go, whatever. The second brother brings the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. Fat portions back in the day were seen as the luxury of the animal. Like they were the best part of the animal. They weren't the leftovers, right? They weren't the scraps that were on the floor that, well, we don't need this. We have all the good meat for us. So we'll just give this pile of leftovers to the Lord. No, no, no. The fat portions were the, the bone-in, tomahawk, ribeye, right? That good, good stuff. Leviticus 17, six actually refers to the fat portions and, and it's uh, It says this, the priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And so Abel is taking this fat portion of the firstborn and he's giving it to the Lord as an aroma that is pleasing to God. So we see right here Abel's heart. Abel's heart is saying, God, I want to please you with this gift. So I am giving you the best. I am giving you luxury. I'm giving you the most important and best part of what I have. And I'm giving it to you. And now the other brother says, here's some fruit. Here's some fruit. And we can really tell the difference in the two offerings by the description of both right? The Bible is very specific about Abel's gift. Fat portions, firstborn, good. Cain, here's some fruit. You know, when we experience something good in our life, we talk about it, right? If you go to a restaurant that's really good, what do you do the next day at work or wherever, whoever you're around? Oh, you got to go to this place. We had this, that, and the other, and it was delicious. Give all the details, right? You go and you see a really good movie and you love it. You're going to go tell people like Mike did when he la- we landed in Costa, right? He sees Top Gun Maverick for the first time on the plane. He's telling us all about it. We're like, yeah, Mike, we know. We saw it a year and a half ago with the rest of the world. Thanks for telling us what we already know. He's like giving us the play-by-play, <sighs> But when we experience something good, what do we do? We tell people about it. We give them the details about it. But when we have a ho-hum day, when we eat at a so-so restaurant, when we see an average movie, we don't go and knock on everyone's doors and tell them about it. How was your day? It was okay. How was your day? It was amazing. I had this happen, this happened, this happened, this happened. So that when the Bible describes Cain's offering as some fruit, it was an eh offering with an eh description. It was some fruit, and that's about it. I want to ask you a question this morning, and be honest with yourselves. Is God giving the details of what you're giving him? How is he describing what you give him? That's a hard question to ask a lot of times, to look in the mirror and say, God, am I giving you the fat portions or am I giving you some fruit? And I'm not talking about like pineapple and strawberry and what I'm talking about the fruit that's on the bottom of the Publix fruit bowls that is just there for the filling, the melons and the honeydew, which we all know no one likes, but they put it in there anyway to make it look like it's a really good fruit bowl and it's not. That is some fruit. I don't want to give the Lord honeydew. It's gross. (laughs) If I'm going to give him fruit, I'm going to give him an edible arrangement. (laughs) But y'all, this isn't a message on the amount that we give God. This is not a tithing message. When we give a tithing message, you will know it because I'm going to say, this is a message today on tithing. We don't camouflage it. We talk about it. We're open about those things. This is a message about our heart. This is a message about what we give to the Lord beyond just what we write on Sunday mornings, what we put in the back box. It's about our heart and our affection towards him. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus talks to the disciples, there he's watching the people give in the temple and this lady comes up and she gives her last two coins. And there's all these other rich people giving all this money. And he says to the disciples, he points her out he says, she has given more than all these others. She has given the fat portions. You can put 10 zeros on a check and I encourage you to do so if the Lord puts it on your heart. But you can, you can put 10 zeros on a check and put it in the box and still only give some fruit. But if you are giving from your heart, out of an affection towards the Lord, then you are giving the fat portions. Then you are giving the fat portions. Look, we can give and not love. But when you love, you give. Love, the the byproduct of love is giving. And so, yeah, you can give all day long. You can give begrudgingly. You can give out of obligation. You can give out of religion. And never once give the fat portions. But if we love God, if we're following after him, then the compulsion that we have is to give, is to give that fat portion. We wanna give him that pleasing aroma that that makes him delight in us and show favor on the offering that we give him because we love him, not because we feel obligated, because it's in our heart to do so. And so I wanna echo what Hannah said earlier. Men, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Don't sleep, all right? Don't give some fruit. Show your spouse that you love them. Show your wives that you love them. I want to say this as well. I've never seen anyone give God their fat portion and be angry, be downcast, or be filled with jealousy. I've never seen it. Ever. Because when we give God our best, that breeds contentment in our life that is when we become content with what we have and who we are. It's when we hold back and we give him some fruit that we become jealous of other people, that we become angry, that we become downcast. But when we're giving God everything that we are, when we're giving him our talents and our time and our ability and our money, yes, then we are content with who we are in Christ Jesus. It's it's never the other way around. But for some reason, we feel like we have to pull back. We have to hold back in what we have so that we can keep up with everybody else. But that's backwards. I've never once seen anyone give everything that they have to the Lord and regret it. That's where we find ourselves. That's where we find the Lord. That's where we find contentment. We can't hold back. And y'all... For five days in Costa Rica, I saw 30 men give the fat portions of who they were to Jesus. They gave their time to Jesus in the morning with devotionals and at night in our church meetings. They gave their, themselves under the hot, hot sun doing hard labor. Not me. I'm the lead pastor. I don't do that stuff. But they did. And it looked really hard. But they gave themselves in what I love more than anything else, what they gave themselves over to was the conversations that they had with one another. They gave their words to Jesus. There wasn't a moment on that trip where I couldn't stop and look around our group and see at least one conversation going on that I knew was deep and rich and good and encouraging and all Christ-centered. And most of those ended in prayer every single time. I even snuck some pictures of them. It was powerful. That's giving, that's giving our, our, our energy and who we are to the Lord when it's not just on Sunday mornings. It's in how we talk. It's in how we work. It's in how we spend our time, how we manage our time. Do we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is turn on the news and just kind of go going about our day and fill our day with noise? Or do we stop? And say, Lord, I'm gonna give you the fat portions of my morning right now in prayer and in your word. And at the end of the day, Do we just zone out on our phones, get on our tablets and our computers and turn on the news again? Or do we close our day with the Lord? And what does it look like in the middle? Are we giving him some fruit or are we giving him the fat portions of who we are? Because that's what he wants and that's what he desires. And as we do that, we find favor with him. And it is good. And all we have to do is look at the difference in the two. Abel gave his best, and God looked with favor on him. Cain didn't, and he was angry, and he was downcast. Let's, let's read verse 6 now in chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. All right, I want to reread the two questions that God asked Cain in this moment. But this is a disclaimer. This is my interpretation of how I read this, okay? I didn't see this in a commentary. This is what I think when I read this. If I was the Lord, right? The first two questions he asked in verse 6. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? I'm sorry, Cain. I thought you were giving me a gift. Why are you mad? If anyone should be mad in this scenario, it should be me. I'm that one that just got your, fr- your, your some fruits, your honeydew. I don't want that. But you're the one that's mad? Oh, I see. So this is really about you. You've made this about you. And look what you did in making it about you. You shortchanged me and yourself by making it all about you. And then he gives Cain this warning. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. God tells him, look, if you do what is right, it'll be accepted. I'm not done with you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm just saying this gift that you give me doesn't measure up. But I'm with you. So next time, get it right. Give me the good stuff. You'll be accepted. But if You do not do what is right. If you keep making it about yourself, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you, to own you, to take over your life. That's a warning. Before Jesus, we are slaves to sin. It has us. Sin owns us before Jesus. We cannot be our savior, we can't do it. But once we receive Jesus as our savior, we are victorious over sin. It does not own us anymore unless we allow it to. It cannot come into us unless we open the door and welcome it in. But besides that, it cannot have us. Because the power of Jesus and his blood covers us. And so when God says this warning, you must rule over it. How do we do that? Through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. And through, and I'm going to say it again, through the gift, the beautiful gift of repentance. That is how sin does not rule over us. And y'all, I'm sorry, I keep referring to the trip, but it's fresh on my mind. And there's so many great examples. But I wanna tell y'all something, the most powerful thing, in my opinion, that happened on our entire trip, Saturday night, our last night, it was just us men. The first two nights we were intermingling with the men of Costa Rica at the church that we were at. But on this night, it was just us. And we took a moment to pray for one another, for anyone that was struggling with something. And there were men that I believe were saying things for the first time, hey, I'm struggling with this, I need prayer, I'm struggling with this, confessing, speaking it out. And in that moment, we would gather around that person, we would lay hands on them, we would pray, and then every single time when when we said amen, there would be another guy that would go to that guy and say, hey, let me tell you my experience with that. Let me tell you what I walked through. And in those moments, as sin was confessed and spoken out, it no longer ruled over them because it was spoken out. And I know, I know that I know that chains were broken on that night. You could feel it in the room. And I'm telling y'all, that's what we do. And that's what we'll see here in a second with Cain. If he had just said, God, I'm sorry, it would have been right back to it. And sin would not have ruled over him but he didn't do what was right. And sin was crouching at the door and sin did have his way with Cain all because he let sin rule over him. But y'all, when we have Jesus, we don't have to do that. We confess, we speak it out and we don't give it life anymore. But the more that we hold that sin in and that shame in, and we don't walk in repentance, it owns us. It owns us, and the devil will tell you over and over again, don't say that, don't say that, you're going to be judged. What are they going to think of you? You're going to be cast out. God's not going to be able to use you. Don't say it, just hide it, just hide it, just hide it. And if we just speak it out, guess what? Sin doesn't rule anymore. And there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's only prayer, encouragement, and brother, I'm going to stand with you in this, and we're going to get you through this. Church, we are going to get you through this. It takes all of us. But you got to speak it out. All I saw that night was bravery. I didn't see failure. I saw courage. I saw freedom. And there's more of that. There's more of that. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, praise God. Cain didn't. He didn't do what was right, and bam, anger turned to jealousy, jealousy to rage. And what we'll see here in just a second, rage to murder. Sin rules him. He made his offering to God about him. And he became jealous of his brother. And on a a side note here, another question to ask. These are fun questions today. The next time you sense that you are walking in jealousy towards someone else, I want to ask you this question have i given the fat portions to the lord or am i just giving some fruit i'm jealous of that person am i giving my fat portions or am i just giving some fruit verse 8 now cain said to his brother abel let's go out to the field while they were in the field cain attacked his brother abel and killed him let's let's not move past this too quickly Because you might be familiar with the story, you might not. But if you are and you've heard it a lot, we can just, I know how this goes, but let's just stop and pause and truly appreciate what just happened here. A son was murdered. A brother was killed by his own brother. All out of a jealous rage. This is tragic. This is a tragedy that happens in the fourth chapter of the Bible, we're not that far removed from God creating the heavens and the earth. And here we have murder. And you ever wonder, when the Bible says that Cain was angry and his face was downcast, you ever wonder who he was angry with? Was he angry with his brother Abel? I can't believe you did that. You showed me up. I can't believe you gave the fat portions and you knew I was gonna get... Through. Was he mad at God? Oh, you look favorably on his offering, but you don't look favorably on my offering? Well, you don't think my fruit is good enough? Or was he mad at himself? He was angry with himself because he didn't do what was right. He thought he was going to be able to skate by. He was just operating out of religion, out of obligation. Here you go, God. I'm going to go about my day. Enjoy the fruit. See ya. And then God says, whoa, whoa, not looking favorably at that, but here's Abel who gave a good gift, and I look favorably here. And so because it's easier to deflect anger at yourself, Cain looks at Abel, he looks at God, and he never looks at himself. And y'all, we have to be, we have to be on our walk with the Lord self aware of our own mistakes and our own failures. And I'll tell you right now as a disclaimer, it is hard. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, in this moment, what could I have done better? Where did I mess up? Why am I so angry at that person? Have I given my fat portions? And Cain doesn't do that. Cain doesn't do that. Instead, he takes his aggression out on Abel and he kills him. I want to tell you all something. Sin can't stand looking at good. Sin cannot stand looking at good. Good is a mirror to sin. And what it does is it reflects what sin is. And so sin hates good. Sin is jealous of good. Sin attacks good. Satan is jealous of God. It's where it all started. Listen to verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? This this question that God is asking Cain sounds very familiar to chapter 3 when God is asking Adam and Eve as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Where are you? You know, what happened? God is opening the door yet again for repentance. He knows exactly where Abel is, he knows exactly what has happened, but he's saying, All right, Cain, here's your chance. Here's your chance to walk in repentance. You did something. You can't undo it. But you can come to me and ask for forgiveness. And listen, listen to Cain's answer here. He says, I don't know. Lie, right? And he says this, am I my brother's keeper? Whoa. All right. Am I my brother's keeper? He says that to the Lord. Listen, y'all, I'll be the first to tell you I struggle seriously with sarcasm, all right? Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. But I do, and it's, it's been like that my whole life. I'm pretty sure when the doctor said, it's a boy, I was like, yeah, th- thanks a lot, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Should go to medical school for that? <clears throat> but I struggle, I struggle with it. And there's times when I get carried away and I end up hurting people's feelings. Like, and I have to go apologize and tell them I'm sorry and I'm still learning how to control my tongue. And, and uh, please forgive me. But Father, forgive me if I am ever sarcastic to the Lord. I mean, that's, that's hardcore. And Cain here, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I his keeper? Well, yes, you're his older brother for one. But two... You sure you want to go that route with the Lord? But here's the more important thing that I want us to understand. Cain kills his brother Abel, and it resolves nothing. Cain's heart is still the exact same. And we see that in how he talks to God. In other words, Cain doesn't go and kill Abel. And God says, hey, where's Abel? Oh, he's dead, God, but it's okay. Life is good now, right? Everything's solved. I fixed it. I'm good. I'm not mad anymore. I'm not downcast anymore. I'm not jealous anymore. Everything's cool. He doesn't say that. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Nothing's changed. Y'all, when we lash out in our jealousy, in our anger, because we only gave some fruits while the person next to us gave the fat portions, and we lash out at them, it changes nothing If anything, it makes it worse. God is trying to get at our heart in those moments. Cain kills his brother and nothing changes. Now all he has is one person to focus his anger on, and that's God. Let me look at you now, and I'm going to lie to you, and I'm going to be sarcastic to you rather than repenting and understanding that this isn't all about me I'm going to be mad at you. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When uh, When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Isn't it amazing that he still hasn't apologized? still all about him. But the Lord said to him, not so. Here's God's faithfulness. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So at the beginning, we see Eve saying that the Lord helped her in birth. Now the Lord is protecting Cain, even in his sin, as he sends him out. And just like that, Cain is gone. He never repents. Even in his punishment, the story was always about him. He never gave his fat portions to the Lord. And he spent the rest of his life wandering. Listen, that's the world we live in right now. It's a whole bunch of wanderers trying to either give God some fruit or none at all. They're just keeping the fat portions for themselves. I'm going to continue to give to me. I'm going to be the God of me. And they live a life wandering this earth, never content. God's saying, just give it to me. You'll be content in me. Our mission statement here at Beaches Chapel that this is a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's based out of Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, where it says, you are no longer wandering exiles. You belong here. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. It doesn't matter how you got here. You're done wandering. You're done wandering. When we find Jesus, y'all, and we give him ourselves in those fat portions of our life." We're done wandering. The search is over. We have a home. But when we continue to just give him some fruit, we wander and we roam and we're never settled in our life. I'm going to call the band back up. And I want to look at the ultimate moment where sin attacked good. We're going to read Matthew chapter 27, 27 through 50. Sin attacking good. Verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we, will, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Leme sabachthani, which means my God, my God Sin attacked good. Sin attacked perfection. And sin lost big time. Sin thought it had won. But sin was just playing into God's hands. Giving us victory over sin. Not not ever having to be ruled by it ever again. We find our contentment in who we are and in Jesus, not by giving some fruit, but by giving him the fat portions of our life. You see, the truth is, Jesus didn't give us the fat portion. He gave us every single bit of him. And it wasn't just on the cross, it was his entire life here on earth. He gave up everything. one and only begotten son, the lamb of God, the one. God didn't say, okay, here's the best part of my son I'm going to give to you and I get to keep the rest for me because he's my son and I love him. I'm going to give you all of Jesus. I'm going to do it on the cross so that as sin crouches and wants to have you, it can't because you are mine, you are mine, and I desire you, I desire to have you, and I'm gonna show you by having my son nailed to a cross, and not just the fat portion, but all of it is for you. And sin might attack good, but sin can't have good. It lost big time. And so for all of us this morning, I ask you the question again, are you giving some fruit or are you giving the fat portions? Is your gift a pleasing aroma to the Lord? Is he telling everybody the details of your gift? That's what he wants. And here's the great news. If we haven't been, we don't have to walk out of here in shame. And Wow, James really beat it over my head today and you walk in guilt and shame. No, no, that's not what this is about. It's about saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do right from now on. It's all we have to do. Repentance is a beautiful gift. And if we can speak those struggles out in our life, we can just confess those things to God and not skirt around them, y'all, but actually say the words that are deep in our hearts, that we've hidden away from other people. Sin will not rule over us. It will not rule over you and it will not rule over me. And in this church, in this house, there will be no condemnation. We are not a group, we are not a family of believers who are gonna beat each other down. No, we hold each other's arms up when we're weary. We walk alongside one another. That's why we have church on Sundays. That's why we have community groups throughout the the month and the year. It's why we have hot dogs and lemonade next week, y'all. Because we love each other. We want to walk with each other. And what happened on a Saturday night in Jaco, Costa Rica, can just as easily happen here. God isn't determined by our geography. He is everywhere. It's our willingness to do it. Jesus gave all of it so that we could find contentment and happiness and never have to wander or roam another day in our lives. So have you given your fat portions? Have you given your life? Have you given your heart? If you're in this room or you're watching online, have you received Jesus as your Lord and savior? Have you been trying to do it your own? Have you been giving God some fruit here and there? I'm gonna be good today. I'm gonna try hard today. Y'all, that is ridiculous. It doesn't work. We can't be good enough can't do it ourselves. What we can do is say, God, here's, here's me. I'm giving you me, and you do it for me. So if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now's the time. Why don't we stand up? If I could have Sal and Carmela come up, our elders and their wives, Don, Joanne, if you want to come up, Jesse and I'll be here. Hannah you I want to come up too. If you need prayer this morning, if you're walking through something and you just need to stand in agreement, we want to pray for you. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love to pray for you. We also understand that it's a hard first step to make, but I want to encourage you to make it. Make that step, and we'll pray with you. And if you can, not just bow your head right now, and all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. I believe, forgive me. The Bible said He is faithful, and He is just to forgive us. Father, right now, we just pray, Lord, for all of us in here. This message for all of us Lord that we would be we would be a church that gives you the fat portions of everything that we do God that husbands and fathers would give the fat portions to their wives and to their kids God that wives and mothers in here would give the fat portions to their husbands and children God, that sons and daughters would give the fat portions. God, that we as a church body would give unto one another. And how we serve here the church from the parking team to the worship team to the volunteers in base camp and our greeters, our nursery workers, Lord, our AV team, our deacons, Lord, our elders. That as we serve you on Sundays and throughout the week, we would give you our best but God more than that that just as a body as a family how we talk and how we pray would be real and it would be good and we don't want to shortchange you and if we have been Lord I just pray right now Jesus that we would start we would start giving you it all and Lord show us show us those areas where you desire more of us God, I just pray against any spirit of condemnation or failure or guilt over this message. It's not what this is, Lord. This is—you're a God of second chances, Lord. What this is is us returning to you, you calling us back to you, our first love, I'm saying, "Give me that good stuff," and all those things that you're struggling with—they're all going to be resolved as you give to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving all of it for us. If there's anyone in here this morning that's you, you've never received Jesus, now's the time. To just say, have a conversation with him. Just tell him you believe. Tell him you're sorry. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna worship. If you need prayer this morning, come on up.